Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a podcast program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues today, a conversation that brings the state leaders and state issues to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join uh, in the conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host uh, this morning. Uh, today, as usual, we'll be not only taking your phone calls, but we also have our chat room open, uh, which will give you two vehicles in which to participate. Uh, Jennifer will be monitoring our uh, uh, switchboard and taking your calls. If you have a question of one of our speakers to uh, ask that, you you call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four. And when you're ready to, to make a comment or ask a question, just press the number one, and that will indicate on our switchboard that you're ready to ask a question. We will get your name, uh, your question or topic, and uh, where you're from, very generically. Uh, also, if you're on the phone line, I ask that you turn the volume down on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay, and it's sometimes uh, a bit confusing. Uh, and if you want to log on to the, our chat room, uh, that's on. Uh, you will have to register with Blog Talk Radio, and you can type in questions, which we are monitoring as well. Uh, it's uh, almost the middle of December. School board elections are over, and, and uh, in the first week of January, the majority of the school boards in New Jersey will be what we call reorganizing. It's an important meeting because it's a meeting which constitutes the new board, which we'll get into. The school board also chooses its new leadership team. In many districts, if not most, uh, it's the first meeting, official meeting, for the new board members that were elected in November. In, in my many years at NJSBA, I know that during the weeks leading up to the reorganization, questions arise about the proper procedure for making these decisions. This is especially true uh, in boards where there might be a little division as to who the leadership team should be and other issues. On today's program, we'll be discussing ways for board members uh, and the boards to be better prepared for this meeting. So we, we will uh, encourage your questions. Here to discuss that with me is Terry Lewis, who is the field service representative with New Jersey School Board Association, uh, serving the southern region. Welcome, Terry. Good morning, Ray. I'm glad you're here. And also with us is the, the esteemed Mike Calver, director of our Legal Policy and Labor Relations Department. Welcome, Mike. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me. And I didn't mean to say that Mike's only esteemed. You are too esteemed, too, Terry. Uh, <laughs> I did catch that, right? <laughs> yeah, I know you did, and I caught myself after I said it. Uh, I once heard that to be esteemed, you need to have to have traveled more than 20 miles to get to wherever it is you're, you're presenting. So I think we'll all qualify under that that definition. Well, I didn't really travel anywhere, so I'm less esteemed today. Um, but, Mike, let's get to the issue. Um why do we need to reorganize? You know, uh, we do it at this time of year. When does the old board its term actually officially end? Well, let's let's start with the understanding that a board of education is a non-continuous body that basically serves from organization meeting to organization meeting. Uh, for boards that have moved their elections to November, the first week in January is what the statute. Uh, describes and what you alluded to as the time period during which the new board will organize. The interesting question about that when it first came down was what does that mean first week of January? Is it the first full week? Is it a partial week? 
And the Department of Education solved that because they've taken the position that it's January 1 to January 7. So the board can meet, reorganize any of those dates. And if by some reason when they get there they can't get a quorum, the law 18A 10-3 allows you to meet in the three days thereafter if you can't get a quorum for January 1st through 7th. So, Mike, uh, some people feel that their term is up then on December 31st, and actually they are on until that new board is uh, uh, takes office. That's correct. I mean, we've done some presentations leading up to this, and I've had that question in a number of venues. You know, doesn't the board ter member's term end December 31st? No. The, new, the old board is in place until such time as the new board organizes. Ray, one of the questions that we get with organization meeting is how do you determine the date? Oftentimes, the previous board in their annual meeting notice has established when the organization meeting date is. If that hasn't occurred, there's three ways to determine a date. The board president can determine the date by telling the board secretary, business administrator, to advertise it. The superintendent can if the board hasn't met for two months. That doesn't usually happen. And a majority of the board members can petition the board secretary to call a meeting on a particular date. Um, typically, it's the annual meeting notice and or the board president if there isn't one already. Well, who sets the agenda then for, for that well, the meeting? Great question. The agenda is going to be set the same way any other agenda would be set in the district, typically with the superintendent and the board president. Now, there are uh, certain items that you're statutorily required to do, one of them being you have to elect a president and vice president, so that's going to be on the agenda. You have to swear in the new board members, so you need to do that. Um, we've come up with, in our, our FAQ that's been posted on our website, there are two handouts, attachments at the end. One deals with resolutions and things to be the considered at the organization meeting, governance-type issues, because that's what this is about. And the other is a list of items that really tie in more to the fiscal year that you would do in April or May if you're an April election uh, district and there's only about 23 or 25 left, um, you would do those in your reorganization at that time as well. But it wouldn't be something you would necessarily do in January if your board organization is... is but, you know, for most of what we'll be discussing today anyway in terms of the the, the votes of the president and uh, uh, and also who runs the meeting and all that, whether it's April, um, whether it's April, May, or January, those procedures are pretty much the same uh, in selecting president. They not pretty much; they are the same, correct? That's correct. Yeah, uh, Terry. Before I get into the, that actual reorganization meeting, let's talk about what's leading up to it. If I'm a new board member, or if there's a new board member coming on, uh, is it po should I communicate with the veteran board members? You absolutely can can communicate with the with the veteran board members. Um, if they have not reached out to you, the board president or the district, um, you know, pick up the phone, contact the new board president, find out if there has if they have some time that they can meet with you to go over, bring you up to speed on things that have been happening in the district. Um, you may want to spend some time with the superintendent and the BA to review what a reorganization agenda looks like. Sometimes they can be rather lengthy, and they can contain a lot of acronyms. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I met with another field service rep the other day, 
And she told me that Carol Larson, who used to be a field service rep here a long time ago, had a rule of three. So there were three things uh, that a new board member needed to look at and three people they needed to meet with. So I'll start with the people first, the BA, uh, the superintendent, and the board president. So if you could meet with those three people prior to the reorg meeting, that would be extremely beneficial. The documents that a new board member would need are policy manual, obviously, because the board is a policy-making body, all negotiated contracts, and um, a copy of the last year's meeting minutes, which would help bring you up to speed on what the district was working on. Uh, I talked about that from the board, uh, new board member's point of view. Probably if you're a sitting board president or the administration, you probably should sit and you can reach out to the newly elected person, and it's probably recommended to do that. Yeah, and in a lot of districts, they do that. Uh, many districts have in place what they would call mentoring programs. So after the election, they normally get in touch with the new board members and start that mentoring process right away so that they can meet with them, explain the roles and responsibilities. Um, some actually assign veteran board members to be mentors for new board members. If I have a question, I have a person that I can go to without feeling awkward. Okay, so we talked a little bit about going before, and we should back up. When Carol Larson said that, there was probably about two weeks between the election and uh, the reorganization. Now we have a couple of months, um, so there is time to start building that relationship. Uh, uh, more time, Allie, a lot more time. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Mike, so we're at the reorganization meeting. Normally at any board meeting, uh, the board president runs it. Uh, but at a reorganization, we don't have an, we don't have a board president. How do we get started? Well, typically the school, in my, the school business administrator will be a presiding officer pro tem that will start the meeting. They'll, the, the, the school business administrator will swear in the new board members. You'll organize with a roll call, and then the, usually the next order of business would be the election of a president and vice president. So it would generally proceed in that manner. All right. Uh, selecting a president, how is that done? Do we someone puts up a name, and we devote on that name, or do they put a, take nominations of two or three names? Uh, what what are the procedures that districts follow? It's one of those wonderful areas where the the legislature has really not provided uh, guidance in terms of what process you use. You do need to elect a president and vice president. And by the way, if you don't at the organization, meaning the county superintendent will appoint. So most boards try to elect their president and vice president at that meeting. Uh, we recommend that boards have policy in terms of how they handle the vote. And it becomes significant in this manner. The general rule of thumb is that a majority of a voting quorum carries the day. There is some uh, election law that the commissioner has established way back in the 60s and 70s that dealt with a situation where a board had nominated three people to a position. There was a five-member board. They had four people present, and they had a 2-1-1 vote for president for those, for those four people. The commissioner ruled that because in election law generally, plurality wins, the two votes, although not a majority of the four people voting, the two votes carried the day and that person was elected president. Most boards would rather not proceed in that matter. So if you put one person up 
at a time that will ensure that a majority of your voting quorum will be the vote necessary to carry the day. I think that's probably the most common practice. So that's something that the board might want to put in their policy or bylaws to help govern them for every reorganization meeting is how absolutely. they're going to proceed. And what, absolutely. And one of the the frequent questions we get is, what if there's a tie? Well, a tie is a failure to elect. Take a step back, recess, think about it, come back again, see if you can in a later point you know, revisit that get, and, and get some agreement among board members as to how you want to go. Because if you don't take care of it that night, it's going to go to the county superintendent. Uh, Terry, let me yeah. go back. Uh, take one step back. I was thinking from a new board member, this might be one of the first questions I asked or right before the meeting is, what is our procedure going to be for electing our officers? Yep, that could be one of the questions that you ask. And, you know, it's really, in smaller districts, you probably know a lot of the other board members or at least some of the other board members. In larger districts where you don't know, that could be kind of a daunting task if you come to the, you know, the, the reorganization table and you have absolutely no idea who these people are or whether or not they would be you know, what you would consider a good president. So that's why we recommend reaching out early and having some of those conversations. Yeah, and that would probably be true for a regional board where you might have people from not even the same community or town. So uh, the, they really don't have that relationship as opposed to a smaller district where you would have a relationship. At least you would be familiar with the person. Yeah. Um, getting um, Mike, if, if there's a tie, uh, do you revote, uh, or and how many times do you do that, or how do you proceed? Well, the the simple answer is, if there's a tie, you can reconsider, you can revote, you can work on that issue again to try and nominate another person for the particular office. We'll sometimes get the question: Is if you don't elect the president, can you then elect the vice president? The answer is yes, you can do that. Have boards elected a vice president but not a president? Yes, that has happened. Um, you can move forward with that as many times as is practical during the night of the reorganization meeting. Once that meeting adjourns, it then falls into if you if you haven't elected a president and or vice president, that then goes to the county superintendent. Uh, say someone's missing from the meeting. Say it's a seven-member board and there's six. Uh, and there is a consensus for the vice president, but there's a split on the president, but you know at the next meeting that you will have a decision. Can you elect the vice president and then a week later elect the president? You can elect the vice president, but you, you cannot at a week later elect the president. You have to take care of that at the organization meeting. Okay. Otherwise, uh, it goes to the county superintendent. Okay, and it would be his or her decision as to how to proceed after that. That's correct, and we and it it, it varies across, you know, across the board in terms of the process that executive county superintendents will use. I'm aware of some that will do a you know bring in people for interviews and talk to board members and and make their determination on that. Others will contact people, leadership on the board. Some will um set, will. Yeah, we'll tell the board, look, you guys do it at the next meeting, even though that's not legal. I, mean, I don't want to make, you let me know what you want, and then I'll make the formal appointment. So we've seen a lot of different ways that gets done. I mean, our recommendation organizationally, I think, is find a way to get it done at the organization meeting. You don't have to worry about all these other questions. Uh, 
Terry, and I, I know this has happened to some new board members, uh, and it probably goes back to your recommendation to um, you know be a little proactive and start building relationship. But they're a new board member. It's a split board, and they're the deciding vote, and they really haven't met anyone or they don't have a long-term relationship, what's kind of advice for them? They know going in uh, that they may be the the deciding vote, and in making that decision, you could alienate yourself from groups of people. So how do they proceed in that situation? You know, that is really a tough, tough question uh, because you hate to be the new guy on the block and know that you might be the deciding vote. Um, if you know that ahead of time, that's when it would be really important to reach out to those involved, current president, whoever else may be considered, and at least spend a little bit of time with them just talking. You don't have to interview them, but what's happening on the board, uh, what have we been working on, You know, do we have committees, how are they structured, so that you can at least get a feel for them. But the other thing you have to remember, too, is it's a team. So even though you're the deciding vote, that doesn't make you the bad guy. It's like, you know, the last uh, guy at bat that strikes out, he didn't lose mm-hmm. the game. He just happened to be last in line. So don't take it personally um, and don't feel as though, you know, you're making the ultimate decision here. Just vote your conscience. Yeah, it might be a good idea to even, like, express those feelings um, that, you know, you're not. It's not a personal decision. It was just a decision you made. Absolutely. Correct? Mm-hmm. You can uh, do that at the meeting. Uh, we, we were talking about it, uh, and sometimes this can be. This is the first meeting of the year, and sometimes those relationships, if it's a divided board, uh, in the terms that there it's a three-four or four-three or five-four vote for president, um, that could you know that split can stay. What can boards do to move on after that vote uh, so that they don't keep that split there for the rest of the year? Well, first they need to recognize that, you know, they have to work as a team, whether it's a seven-member team, if it's a seven-member board, or a nine-member team. They can't do anything without that concept because one board member doesn't have any authority to do anything. They only have the authority when they're together at the board table. So if they want to do great things for the district and they want to move it along, then they have to reconcile those differences. Hey, these aren't personal. You know, these are just basically business decisions. Um, Talk about it a little bit and decide how they want to move on. Because if Mm -hmm. they don't do that, if they don't get that piece out of the way, you're right, it's going to rear up into every decision. Um, It's kind of like, you know, when you have that, that massive fight with your spouse, and you go, you know, well, 10 years ago, you know, you left my shoes out in the rain. Um, They need to get it out. They need to identify it and say, this is an issue. How are we going to get past it? Can we move past it? Uh, And take those appropriate steps. If they have issues like that, they can always give us a call. Uh, If they can't get past it, uh, that's one of the things that we do as field service reps is go in and try to get them to the point where, you know, we can agree to disagree, move on, because we have bigger things to take care of. Yeah, and I, I, I th- I'll i throw my own personal advice. If you're the board president and you, and you know you didn't have everyone on board from the very beginning, that might be one of your first order of business is to try to bring people together uh, because that I think that would show a lot of symbolism 
to those people who voted for someone else. Yeah, and typically I think you're you're right because a board president should make that effort. And sometimes people tend to go, you know what, let me just let it ride for a little bit and see what happens. Um, I wouldn't recommend letting it ride. I think it's easier to address it um, and get it out. Uh, make those uh, initiatives and, and and move on because you don't want to get till May and realize that you still have this same problem and half the year is gone. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Uh, we're talking with Terry Lewis, field service representative Michael Calvert uh, from our legal department um, about reorganization issues. If you have a question, you can call one. 347-989-8904 and just press 1 and we'll get your question to our uh, guest uh, or you can just type it in on the uh, in the chat room. Uh Mike, you know, we talked a little bit about new board members um but you know they get sworn in. Uh who can swear in the new board member? Great question, right? Uh, the, the, the school board secretary, school business administrator is authorized by statute to administer oaths of office for board members. But, but essentially, anybody who is licensed is authorized to administer oaths, a notary public, an attorney, it could be you know someone who possesses that power, uh, a mayor, I believe, has that authority. Any of those individuals can, can administer the oath of office. You'll sometimes see at a, re, a reorg meeting a family friend, a judge who comes in and administers the oath of office, all perfectly legal. One of the questions we get is that when can you administer that oath of office? And we'll often, every year we get, can we? the person's not going to be at the meeting, can we administer the oath of office before the meeting? And it's one of those few areas that I think it's really definitively, it's a definitive answer, and the answer is no. And the answer is no because the old board is still in place. There's no seat to swear that person into because that seat doesn't become available until the reorganization meeting. Now, if the person doesn't make the reorganization meeting and they come, they can come to the board office the next day, the board secretary can swear them in in the office. They could have someone else administer the oath. As long as they fill out the appropriate paperwork and take care of that, they're fine. Uh, if you're out of state and you have someone out of state, you're in Florida for the week and you want to be sworn in in Florida, if there's someone in that jurisdiction is licensed to take over and you have appropriate paperwork, you can handle that as well. So it's it's really a, a broad field of people who can take the oath of office. The one uh, definitive piece is that it can't be done before the organization meeting, and then once that meeting is over, it can basically be done at any time. Yeah, I've heard of new board members, because, you know, it's a, a they want to make a ceremony of it. It's their first time coming on board and I have I've received calls I'm sure most people have is you know they want to have their uncle who's a judge or sometimes even an elected official a mayor or something swear them in uh so that is perfectly okay as long as it's someone who's uh has the authority to do that that's correct and um do we only swear in the new board members or do we swear in all the newly elected members all the newly elected members because their new term is starting at that point in time so uh, it's just for whether the they're incumbents who have been reelected or new members, newly elected uh, rookie members, if you will. Uh, any anybody who's been newly elected and is starting a new term would be sworn into office. Okay. Uh, one of the other legal questions I should get to this one, and I forgot about this one. 
sometimes there's a conflict that someone got elected to a board, and uh, the board feels there's a conflict. Maybe it's financial uh, of some sort, and that they're not qualified to sit on the board. Do those, if there's questions about that, uh, do they still be? Are they still able to uh, participate in a reorganization meeting? It, it's it, Ray. That's a great question. Um, sometimes it's a question of maybe there's a lingering suit against the board in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's a, a parent who's now going to be a board member who has uh, an issue with respect to their child in the district that has gone to litigation. Maybe it's a due process special ed hearing, or as we've heard this year, you have someone who is an elected fire commissioner who now gets elected to the board. And since 2008, there's been a prohibition on dual elected office holding. What does the board do? Again, one bright line here is is that the board does not have the authority to not see a duly elected board member. The commissioner can make that determination. A judge, a superior court judge, can make that determination, but not the board. As a 1984 decision out of Newark, Brown versus Newark Board of Ed, where the Newark board did not want to seat two people that had a sunshine lawsuit against the board that had been duly elected. And the commissioner said, sorry, you don't have the authority not to seat them. You must seat them. And then once you seat them, if you want to challenge their, their ability to be on the board, you then file a petition with me, and I will decide it. So the commissioner would make that determination. But uh, basically, you would have to seat the, the, the person, even if there is a perceived conflict of interest. Unless, let me throw one other caveat, unless there's some action that takes place prior to the organization meeting in which there is a determination by the commissioner of ed or by a superior court judge that this person is ineligible to serve. What, uh, what should a new board member uh, have to do before they take office? The criminal background check, anything else that they might need to know about? Well, that, that's a good point with the criminal background check that you're speaking of, because the uh, the interpretation has been 30 days after the um, election to office, and that generally occurs the Monday after the election when the county canvassers meet and certify the election results. The interpretation has been that as long as you have basically signed up to and are in line to get your criminal background check done, that even if it's not completed before the organization meeting, you can be sworn in and serve you know, while that process is, is going forward. So that's right, something wanna... you need to get re at least registered for at this time. And, you know, going back to Terry's uh, recommendation, uh, that you really should meet with the, uh, the administration and the board president to find out all the things that you may have to do as a board member uh, during this lame duck session, and they're still, I guess, uh, three weeks uh, out. Yeah, and one of the things that could come out of that particular meeting, because we know that when you become a new board member, you're going to be required to, and we're talking about new, 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 new members, new, if you will, yeah. not the not the newly elected, not the elected incumbents, because right. they would have already taken care of this. If you're a new member to the board, you have to file your your um, personal and relative this financial disclosure forms with the Ethics Commission. So that process 
generally you can be directed by your business administrator in terms of how you can access that and what you need to do just so you're prepared to do that because it needs to be completed within 30 days after taking office. Uh, if a board is in a sending-receiving relationship, which there are many in the state, um, the sending district representative, uh, how does that work? Does the sending district have to have a reorganization meeting before the receiving district? Uh, and if they don't, does that person have a – do they participate in a reorganization meeting? Mike? Ray, Ray, okay, I didn't know if that was for Terry or for me. Um, well, I'll let Terry answer, what the too. Statute, okay, the statute says that the sending district representative it should be selected at the meeting closest in time to the receiving district board's organization meeting. So in the classic legal answer is it depends. If you're an April district, April election district, and again, there aren't many of them left, You've selected your sending rep back in May, and so that person is on, and that person is there, and they're still there. They would be sworn in again at the reorganization meeting because you are, it is, again, the new, the same selection process by the sending rep. If the sending district is also a November election district, uh, the better practice, if possible, would be for the sending district to organize before the receiving district does. And that way you avoid the question of which person is the rep. Okay. Now, the, you know, this year there's not, even though it's uh, January 1st through the 7th, looking at the calendar, it probably most, I would assume that most of the reorganization meetings will be the 5th, 6th, and 7th, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as opposed to January 1st, 2nd, or the weekend. Uh, because from my experience, most of them don't reorganize on a weekend. Is that your experience? Uh, mine, yes. Terry? Yeah, typically uh, they're they're Monday through Friday. All right. I, I, you know, I should have another uh, – I forgot another question uh, going back to the board president. Does that vote have to be taken in the open? Can we do paper ballots? Well, it, uh, it's – that's a great question again. Paper ballots are permitted. Secret ballots are not. Um, you could take the vote in the open through whatever voting procedures you have on your board. However, the results must be made public, must be read by the business administrator, and be part, become part of the minutes and placed in the, you know, the official record for that meeting. Um, I, some boards, not many, but some boards will use a paper ballot system and then because uh, maybe they're concerned about who votes and in what order and how that all plays out. Uh, but uh, a secret ballot is not something you can do, but a paper ballot is something you can do. But I would say it's a distinct minority. And can you and discuss... Terry, your experience with that? Yeah, and, and typically I think most of them do the, um, you know, the public, the, the voice uh, versus the paper ballot. Uh, because it is, I mean, it has to be read into the record anyway. Just makes it a lot easier. But I, can I go back to the the, the question about um, the sending rep? Yes. Well, I don't I don't want to put anybody on a spot, but here's my question. Um, 
The receiving district reorganizes on Tuesday, but the sending district does not organize until Wednesday. Because the sending rep was put in place for a year by his board and hasn't been replaced, can they still attend as a voting member at the reorganization meeting for the receiving district? Good question. And it is a question we've had over the years, and it often it often would, would work around the question of who was going to vote for the board president. To some extent, that has gone by the boards because with um, the Evans versus Atlantic City case in 2008, sending reps don't vote for the board president anymore. So now their role is a little bit you know, less significant in that election process. Well, it's not significant because they don't vote on that issue. Um, what I would say is the per and we can and we can really have a great discussion about this. If they're in office for a year, which is what the statute says, when were they appointed? Has the year run out? How long does that go? If they you know if they organized more than a year in advance, arguably their term has ended. And now what? So it's there's a lot of discussion there. I, I think that generally speaking, if that term hasn't expired, that sending district representative would be able to be a participant at the reorg meeting, you know, vote on those things they can normally vote on, and then when the sending district re appoints its new rep for the new year, that person would then be brought in and sworn into office. Um, in the best of all possible worlds, if you could do it the day before, it's even better, but like you said, that doesn't always happen. Hmm. <laughs> okay, um, interesting. Uh, you know, we talked about the sending receiving the sending reps role at the reorganization meeting. It's not about electing the president or vice president. So, what other business goes on? We focus mostly on the swearing in and the election of officers. What other business has to be take place at this meeting, uh, Terry or or uh, Mike? Terry, I'm going to defer first? to Mike on that one. I, I know Mike okay. has written the he's written the uh, you know the FAQs. So you probably have it right there on the tip of your tongue. Well, there's what I would say is there's some things that you absolutely positively need to do at the organization meeting as a governance piece, and then everything else is whatever is on your agenda for your regular meeting if you choose to do that. Um, you need to obviously swear in the new board members. You need to elect your officers. You need, under the Sunshine Law, annual meeting notice because that has to be published within seven days of your re of your organization meeting. If your organization meeting is in January, it's on January 7th, guess what? By the 14th, you have to publish your annual meeting notice. So you need to adopt that. Since you're adopting that and it's going to be published, it would make sense that you also establish, if you, you can just continue what you're doing before, but establish your official newspapers for the, for the publication that goes on with that. The one piece, and it's gotten a lot of discussion in the last uh, 10 days or so around our office, is the need to readopt your policy manual. Why do I say that? The board, we started by saying the board is a non-continuous body. Your policy manual is adopted pursuant to 18A11-1, which is the general rulemaking authority for the board. So technically, 
when the old board leaves, your policies die. They are no longer in effect. So it's important at the reorg meeting to readopt your policy manual. Now, if you want to change stuff down the road, that's fine. Follow your process. But you need to bring that in place in order to be prepared going forward and to be have those policies in place in order to mm. carry out your day-to-day -day functions in the district. Those are the items, I think, that basically you absolutely positively need to do with the organization meeting. Anything else would be whatever happens to be before the board at that time. There are things that you have to do annually, uh, and a lot of times it was done at the reorganization meeting when we had April elections because the May meeting was not only the reorganization meeting, but it kind of went with the calendar year of the financial calendar year to make those, a lot of those decisions. What are some of the decisions that uh, a new board member sh should probably be aware of are going to be coming back probably uh, sometime in April or May? Well, you're going to see things like your professional services providers. I mean, that's that makes more sense. Subboards will do it in January. It probably makes more sense from our perspective, and I know from the School Business Officials Association, from their perspective, if it ties into the fiscal year, it makes more sense to do it in April or May. Even though it's not technically an organization meeting, there are those things that you're going to need to look at in terms of um, tying into the fiscal or academic year. Ray, I forgot one very important thing that you need to do at the organization meeting. You need to appoint the board's NJSBA delegate for the delegate assembly. <laughs> I don't know how I could forget that. But that's one you have to do as well. Again, it's a governance issue. If it's a governance issue, you've got to do it at the organization meeting. If it's fiscal or account, you know, school year oriented, those are things more likely you're going to do in April or May. You know, one of the things you don't have to do at the reorganization meeting, sometimes it's done, but sometimes I know they do wait, uh, and Terry, I'll ask you this, is sometimes you have to set up committees at some point. Uh, it may not be done in other appointments. How should a board kind of proceed on, like, the committee selection for new board members? I know the president will be making those selections. Do you recommend that uh, they do it at that meeting, or do you think that it, there's a more discussion that should occur? Interesting question. I know there are boards out there that have in their policies that committee appointments will take place at the annual reorganization meeting. But that also has the potential, particularly if you have new board members, uh, several new board members coming on, uh, that you're really not sure what committees they would like to serve on or what interests they have uh, that would be best suited for those committees. Um, and that's the important part about reaching out to those board members ahead of time because if your policy does say that you're going to do it at the reorganization meeting and that's what everybody expects, um, if I were a new board member, I probably wouldn't want to hear at the reorganization meeting that I'm now on the curriculum committee. Um, so that advance notice, that advance, you know, I'm putting together committees. Uh, can you tell me why you ran? What is your, you know, what are your interests? Uh, what is your background? We're trying to figure out where you could best serve. Um, that way it's not a complete surprise at the reorganization meeting. Did I answer uh, your question? Yeah, that, no, it does answer the question because that does come, it actually gets to our other point when we were discussing earlier uh, in the program about there's a divided board. Should a, a president, when they're setting up a committee, have representatives, I hate to say factions, but sometimes there's two views, so should they make sure that everyone has 
is on the every faction is represented or they put people on the committee who they feel has the best experience well that's a <laughs> That's I, I guess that's question. a matter of kind of personal choice, and I think it depends on, you know, and I'm going to say the dynamics of the board um, and and what would actually make the best sense. For instance, um, I, I, I've worked with a district um, who had a board member that at every meeting questioned everything about facilities, questioned mm-hmm. everything. Um, and when the new board president was elected, he said, I'm, I'm going to put you on the facilities committee and I'm going to make you the chairperson. Um, and it, it solved a lot of problems. It's, it's a great committee. It runs really well and uh, it works. And it probably saves time at the regular meeting. Yes. The hard part, though, is I think a lot of new board members really, when they get to the board meeting and, and they talk about committees, their first thing is personnel but I don't think that they understand the board's role in personnel because if they did, that would probably be the last committee that you want to be on. What we recommend for new board members is if you want to make change at all and you want to learn, pick the policy committee. You know, the board is first and foremost a policy-making body. So what better way to affect change than to be able to do it through policy? Policy may not be as, uh, for lack of a better word, may not be as interesting as some of the other uh, committees, but it's certainly um, the most uh, where you can make the most change. And I would recommend, or I would ask, uh, I guess you would recommend that if you're a new board member and, and in those meetings, we're assuming that everyone's meeting ahead of time, which we're saying is probably a good practice, that they might discuss what the committees are, what their charge are, so that when a new board member hears about the facilities committee or the curriculum committee, they kind of know what they are. Absolutely. And, um, you know, a committee charge is so important because you can have committees set up, but unless the people on the committees know what they're supposed to be doing, it's kind of a moot point because then the committee can't uh, operate as effectively as it as it should. Um, one of the most important pieces in the policy manual is the board bylaws. So I would recommend for new board members, um, even before reorganization, if they can if they can use the time to do that, read the policy manual in respect to the board bylaws. So if it's if it's our policy manual, it's the 9000 series. So you'll know how the board is set up, uh, what your roles are, who the spokesperson is, and you'll have all that down before you even get to the reorganization meeting. It will also contain the section on committees, if they are operating with a committee system. Um, I have one final question for you, Mike, and then we're getting close on time. Um, reorganization meeting for the November election is in the first week of January. We have our schedule for, say, January 6th or 7th, uh, and we have a really bad snowstorm. How do we proceed? And we have to. Well, we can't get a quorum. Great question. If you have a you can't have a quorum. You're allowed to meet within three days thereafter. This year, the eighth, ninth, or tenth. Um, there's nothing in the statute that speaks to advertising. So our recommendation is that you provide special meeting notice under the Sunshine Law for that rescheduled meeting. 
given the fact you need to do that 48 hours in advance, that means you're probably going to do it the 10th or because you're going to need that two-day window. Uh, also give you a chance to get the snow out of the parking lot, which yeah. will probably help too. Um, <laughs> but you have you do have the ability to go past the 10th. Now, the question we've had from time to time, and there's nothing in statute or code that speaks to it, is what happens if it's a huge snowstorm, you're scheduled on the 7th, and you still can't get folks together on the 8th, 9th, or 10th. I think what you do is you, you do the best you can, and you organize as soon as you can. Um, most executive county superintendents are, are not going to have a problem with that if there are really, truly uh, emergency-type situations that prevent the board from meeting. Hopefully we don't have to deal with that this year. Uh, that brings us to the conclusion of uh, this program. I'd like to thank uh, Mike Calber for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Ray. And I'd like to thank Terry Lewis, as usual. Thank you, Terry. Thanks, Ray. Always a pleasure. Yes, and I would... The, Final recommendation, if you have any questions, you're a new board member, veteran board member, please call your field service rep or our legal department on any reorganization question you may have. And I hope you all have a a, a quiet and a good reorganization meeting. Good, uh, and that brings us to the end of this program. Thank you.